In the movie Miss Congeniality, Sandra Bullock plays a detective who goes undercover as a beauty queen to infiltrate the Miss America pageant. In a hilarious scene, all the contestants are asked to answer a question. What is the one most important thing society needs? One by one, they all give exactly the same answer. World peace. Definitely world peace. I would have to say world peace. That's easy. World peace. Finally, it is Miss Congeniality's turn to answer, and she responds, harsher punishments for parole violators. The audience is stunned in silence, and you can literally hear crickets chirping. Then, Sandra Bullock's character interrupts the silence to say, and world peace, and the audience erupts with applause. Here we are on the second Sunday of Advent, headed once again down the road to Bethlehem. And if we are lucky, this Christmas we'll hear the angels proclaim, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among all people. We know harsher punishment for parole violators is not the thing that society needs the most, but what about world peace? It's easy to laugh at the beauty queens in miscongeniality, but their answers reveal something troubling about the way we often think about peace. Most of us talk about peace in even more trite and meaningless ways than the sentimental platitudes mouthed by those beauty queens. We've inherited a vacuous vision of peace, a hollow and shallow understanding that has transformed peace into a superficial idea with no specificity and no teeth, a non-threatening peace with no particularity or demands on our lives, a generic peace that costs us nothing. What is the harm, you say, of a generic peace? As the old adage goes, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. And if our peace has no practical content, then we'll fall for any peace that the empire offers. In George Orwell's novel, 1984, the three slogans of the party issued by the Ministry of Truth are, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. This doublespeak of the party used propaganda to convince people to believe that constant war is a good way to create peace. War brings devotion and patriotism and promotes sacrifice for the community. Constant war shows people pledging their devotion to the country and to the government. And as a result, it keeps people loyal and orderly, under control and in check. The soldiers who fight the wars and enforce order in 1984 are called peacekeepers. The party's doublespeak has changed the definition of peace so radically, people came to believe that violence and oppression were the way to peace, even though it was not good news for them or for their world. There are times when we are so desperate for good news 
we will believe any news that is offered to us. It is one of the dangers of human desire, a danger that is made even more treacherous for us when we are in the midst of a crisis like the one we're in now. The poetry of Christina Rossetti seems to summon itself to me every Advent season, and especially this year. In the bleak midwinter, she wrote, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. In another, she confesses, my faith burns low, my hope burns low. Only my heart's desire cries out in me. By the deep thunder of its want and woe cries out to thee. We are living in a bleak midwinter, possibly the bleakest midwinter of our lives and of our history. In the bleakness, our faith and our hopes burn low like a dim candle at the end of its wick. Yet if we listen carefully, we may hear our heart's deepest desire crying out from within us, thundering with want and woe. Desire is one of the primary emotions in the season of Advent, a time when we are invited to search our hearts and to interrogate our longings and to take stock of our desires and answer the question, what am I longing for? Am I longing for peace? Most of us are longing for comfort and relief, for some kind of peace in the chaos of 2020. At a time when the daily news resounds with the highest recorded numbers of COVID infections and then the highest recorded numbers of COVID deaths every single day, when we hear of mass evictions, unnecessary ones, homeless tent cities in freezing temperatures that rival the conditions of underdeveloped countries, hundreds of cars in long lines at food banks, as we read of elected officials deadlocked in negotiations about financial relief with a vaccine possibly on the horizon and yet mass distribution seems nearly six months away, we are all longing, hoping, desiring some good news. Well, guess what? Good news is coming. Good news is coming. I promise, actually, I can guarantee good news is coming. Good news is on its way. The advent of good news is nigh. The good news, though, is not a vaccine for COVID, though that will be nice. No, the good news of this season is the good news of peace, the peace of Christ, peace on the earth for all, which offers a different immunization for a more dangerous disease that plagues all of our lives, the disease of sin. Yes, I know. Good progressive people aren't supposed to talk about sin, are we? Especially not during the season of Advent. Sin, it's just such a nasty word. The malicious harm and theological malpractice we have experienced 
from generations and generations of preachers and teachers employing the language of sin and judgment to condemn us for the very things that bring us life, love, and liberation in this world is enough reason for us to jettison the concept of sin entirely. But what if, what if I told you that the opposite of sin is not salvation in the way we've known it and heard it, but that the opposite of sin is peace. Theologian Cornelius Plantinga defines sin as the culpable disruption of God's shalom. The culpable disruption of God's peace. The Hebrew word shalom means not only peace, but Harmony, wholeness, love, loyalty, truth, grace, and justice, all those great Hebrew and Greek words rolled all into one word. And the Bible describes this shalom as God's design for all of creation. Therefore, sin is the human vandalism of God's shalom. It is the disruption of the harmony and then resistance to the restoration of that harmony that is meant to exist between all creatures and things. God is opposed to sin, not because God is mean and nasty, but because God is upset about the violations of shalom, the violations of peace. God is opposed to sin because it breaks the peace. It interferes with the way things are supposed to be. As people of faith and good conscience, our calling is to work with God to restore the peace and the harmony of shalom. Shalom is the good news that the angels sang about, that Jesus' birth brings peace on earth to all humanity. That's the first thing they sing. The word gospel, evangelion, means good news, good news of peace. It was originally an imperial word, though, that was used to announce a military victory or a royal decree. And so when you combine it with the title Messiah or Son of God, you get the sense that whoever wrote the Gospel of Mark was making quite a political statement. Son of God was a title reserved for Caesar. And so while the sentence, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, may sound mundane to us, to a first century Greco-Roman audience, it would have sounded like, hear ye, hear ye the royal decree of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah and rival of the Roman Empire. The royal decree of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah and rival of the Roman Emperor. Now that's an introduction that captures your attention. Imagine it like the beginning of Star Wars with yellow words floating through space across the screen and a symphony of trumpets behind it playing. The beginning of the good news of Jesus, Messiah, rival of the empire. It was far more epic than it sounds and that's just the title to the Gospel of Mark. Things get really wild from there. The author doesn't begin with their own words, Mark's first words come from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40 who proclaimed, see I'm sending a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. The one of a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is Mark's Christmas story. And it isn't about a baby being born in Bethlehem. 
It begins suddenly and shockingly with the camel hair wearing, leather belt strapping, feral insect eating, wild honey licking prophet appearing out of nowhere in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And when we hear it, we're left wondering, how in the hell is that good news? John the big bad Baptist, our beloved Hairy, insect-eating hero of Advent is a wild man who, unlike the shepherds and the magi, shows up in every gospel story, and yet he appears in none of our sweet little nativity scenes. Even Mary doesn't appear in all four gospels' Christmas stories, but John, John is always, always there. In years past, I've encouraged people to add one of their children's wild and woolly action figures to their nativity sets to represent the prophet John who walked on the wild side and is the only consistent character in all the Christmas stories. But this year, I've been thinking about how great it is that we haven't found a way yet to domesticate the Baptist. Isn't it great? You will not see John's words on a Christmas card or a Hallmark movie. Nobody sings carols about John. There's there's no one chanting, bring us some insect pudding. There won't be any books on how to be like the Harry Baptist or what would John the Baptist do under our Christmas trees this year. I've never seen any John the Baptist ornaments. They might look like Bigfoot or a Yeti. For some wonderful reason, John has not yet been commodified, and that means we haven't been able to tame John and his message yet. We can't make it nice or sweet or wrap it up with a bow. He remains wild and woolly, undomesticated and strange, shouting repentance at various broods of vipers, calling for the forgiveness of sin as a way to prepare us to participate in the restoration of the peace of God. A writer was once asked, what are the tools that one needs to enter a season of preparation for Christmas? And she responded, preparation requires patience and a willingness to listen to the prophets. Patience and a willingness to listen to the prophets. We need to listen to more of John during Advent. But I worry that John and his message are so wild and obscure, divergent from all the other messages that we will receive this season, that we won't be able to hear or understand him. Even though we've also been in the wilderness of this pandemic for nearly nine months, I wonder if we will be able to hear the voice of John crying out in the midst of it. Has our COVID wilderness become too noisy? Are we listening to the right voices? Good news is coming, and John is crying out to us, people get ready, prepare yourselves, make a way in your hearts for the good news that is coming. Creation itself is getting ready. Valleys are being lifted up. Mountains and hills are bowing down. Uneven ground is becoming level. Rough places are being made plain, all to create a straight path for the good news to make it through the wilderness directly to us. 
Start with repentance, John says. Repentance is the act that has the power to get us ready for peace. Richard Rohr reminds us that the Greek word metanoia, which is poorly translated as repentance in the Bible, quite literally means to change your mind. It doesn't mean to feel guilty or remorseful, but to change your mind. To repent is to turn around and go in another direction. Until our minds change, the way it processes the moment we're living in, nothing changes long term. Paul said, be transformed by the renewal of your minds. So it is strange that a religion founded in Jesus' name has been so resistant to change and tended to protect the past and the status quo much more than hopeful futures that can be brought about by people open to change. Octavia Butler said, God is change. And when you understand shalom as God's design for creation, God's will for humanity, God's dream for the world, then suddenly it makes total sense that the first thing John said we need to do in order to get ready for the good news of peace that is coming is to change and to forgive sins against peace. Change everything, John proclaimed. Everything that is hurting or harming, the harmony that is meant to exist on earth between human beings and all created things. Make things right again, John said. Put people and things that have gone crooked in line again. We often approach Advent as if we're preparing for a change that will magically happen on Christmas Eve night when the angels start singing about the good news of peace. But change is a critical part of getting ready for Christmas. Change is the preparation, not the moment of arrival. Indigenous scholar Randy Woodley, a scholar of Shalom, said, Shalom is not a utopian destination. Shalom is a constant journey. We are constantly evolving toward peace and harmony. Change is how we prepare for the coming of the good news of peace. Transformation is supposed to be happening in the weeks as we are reflecting on practicing and embodying hope, peace, joy, and love on the road to Bethlehem. That's what it means to prepare and to get ready to engage in the hard work of metamorphosis of wrestling with God and our own shadows, entering into the process of discovering what our truest and deepest desire is for ourselves and the world, and then, like midwives in the manger, we help give birth to it and struggle to bring it into reality. In the struggle, there is formation and new creation. None of this can happen if we aren't listening to the voice crying out in the wilderness of John calling us to get ready, prepare the way, make paths straight, and start to change, to become peace. Many people mistakenly assume that the classic Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear, has been around for years and years, but it was only written in 1962 by French musician Noel Regni. Regni was a spy in the German army during World War II and endured all the horrors of war before moving to New York to compose music for television shows and commercials. In October of 1962, the Soviet Union and the United States were in the darkest hours of the Cold War, known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
The Russians had installed missiles in Cuba, and the U.S. was threatening military action if they were not immediately removed. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara later said in a memoir, the world was never so close to full nuclear war than in those days. We came within a hair of destroying human civilization, and it was only luck that prevented our demise. Was it really luck, McNamara? People all over the world were trembling as these two nuclear superpowers stood eyeball to eyeball. And as Noel Regni walked through the streets of New York that year, he felt a sense of fear, a sense of despair. No one was smiling. Christmas was supposed to be a time of peace and goodwill, but there was so much anxiety in the air, so much dread. Regni had been asked by his producer to write a holiday song, a new one. But he wasn't really in the mood, and he didn't think he was going to be able to do it. Then one day, he was sitting and listening to the radio in the studio to see if the U.S. had been bombed into oblivion and couldn't take the noise of the news anymore. So he shut off the radio, he left the studio late at night, and began walking the streets home in silence. On his way home through that quiet night, he saw two mothers walking quietly with their babies in strollers. And it seemed to Regni as if their children were looking at each other and smiling like angels. All of a sudden, Regni said, my mood was completely transformed. One glimpse at these children filled my heart with poetry. They reminded me of newborn baby lambs. And as soon as I got home, I wrote down the lyrics, said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you hear what I hear? Eventually, Regni's wife, Gloria, put the words to music, but they couldn't bring themselves to sing it publicly. It was too emotional for them with the threat of nuclear holocaust on the horizon. Yet the song carried such a beautiful message that when Bing Crosby sang it for the first time in 1963 on the Bob Hope Christmas special, it became an instant smash hit. Later in life, Regni was interviewed about the song, and he said, I'm always amazed that people hear my song, but don't know that it was a prayer for peace. I wrote it during the Cuban Missile Crisis as a plea for peace in our world. Listen to the lyrics, he said. Said the king to the people everywhere. Listen to what I say. Pray for peace, people everywhere. Listen to what I say. Regni said, it seems so obvious to me, but I guess we're so bombarded by noise and sounds and our attention spans have grown so short today that we can't hear and understand how a song about listening is a song about peace on earth for all people everywhere. Like Regni, many of our ancestors who have lived before us have lived through tumultuous times. We too now are living in the midst of a noisy crisis, a crisis just as dreadful and deadly and destructive as anything that has come before. We find ourselves this Advent in the middle of a bleak midwinter, and yet all is not lost. There is always hope. There is always Hope, because it's never too late to turn around. 
There's always hope because it's never too late to change. There's always hope because there's always the possibility of change and transformation and metamorphosis. There's always hope because the good news of peace is coming again. And we've been given the gift of purpose and meaning, the gift of good work that we can do no matter who we are, where we are, or what we're going through, the good work of preparing for the arrival of peace in our world, the restoration of God's shalom, the renewal of harmony and wholeness, love and loyalty, truth and grace and justice. Each of us has a role to play and a job to do in preparing our own hearts and our lives and our world in this fresh wilderness for the coming of peace. So let us not proclaim peace, peace, where there really is no peace, but instead let us repent and turn and change our hearts and minds, our bodies and souls, so that we might be transformed into God's peace for the world. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with us. Amen.